SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. Jeez, a rat did that? Looks like I'll have to charge somebody for a new door. Give me the keys. I'm going to wait in the car. Forget it. We're in this together. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is Alex. And on that day, a star was born. And his name was Leonardo DiCaprio Capricorn. And Thrasher. Now see, if it don't turn green, there ain't no critters. Yep, and we're talking about the uh, third film in the original... uh, quartet of Critters films we're looking at. Quadrilogy, I guess, is what Alien would call it. Um, <clears throat> Critters 3, you know, this was filmed back-to-back with uh, Critters 4, and these were um, direct-to-video, and they came out, I mean, pretty far apart from each other, but it was one of those things, you know, these movies rented really well. Critters 2 did not do well in the theater. So they did direct-to-video, and the budget for Critters 3 and Critters 4 were about the same. And you look at the box art, it makes you think, oh, Critters are going to attack New York City or something. But it, it, it's really just like a, an apartment complex. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best horror sequel ever to, 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 to take a deep dive on the perils of urban renewal. Yeah, it's um, talks well, about bad landlords. Of, they still took more of Manhattan than Jason ever did. Exactly. I don't think I don't think Jason got off the boat. That's true. I mean, I do like the effect in the poster. It looks like um, the critter guy is ripping through the poster. I think that's neat. It's always a yeah, fun effect. Cool. And in this stars a very young Leonardo DiCaprio. He was a, a kid actor, so he had done some. This is his first movie role as an actor. Yeah, and, uh, television. Family ties was the other thing that. Uh... No, you know, I'm looking around this time. He was on like an episode of Roseanne. He was on a few episodes of something called The New Lassie. I guess this was a Lassie reboot. And he was in the pilot of the TV show based off the Coppola movie, The Outsiders. Okay. The um, some of the crew guys had worked with him on some like commercials and, and other shows and stuff before, and they said he was just a delightful kid. And of course, you know, like we all predicted, like they all predicted, they're like, this kid's gonna be freaking huge. And of course, you know, look where we are. Right. I mean, I think the first thing he, he did when he was younger that really got him a lot of acclaim was what's eating Gilbert Grape. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and it's a. Uh, it's funny because I guess when New Line, uh, once he became a bigger star, New Line re-released it with like him on the spine, like featuring Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, interestingly enough, another actor that was um, offered the role of Josh first was a young Carrie Elways, but he turned it down. Really? Interesting. Yep. So, although Carrie Elways, I think that the age difference, yeah, is like 58 now, and, and DiCaprio yeah. is in his 40s, so I mean, maybe... 
that he was originally written as like a older brother or something. Who knows? But yeah, Critters Three. It's it's one of these things where you uh, it does reference the the fast movies a bit, but you're not with that same clan. That first one took place like in a farm uh, or in a farmstead at night. The second one, you know, it's in a village, a big cast of characters. This one, like, it, it reminded me a bit of a, a movie we covered a while ago, Thrasher, Death Wish 3, in that it's in an apartment complex. It's it, The scope seems a lot lower. Yeah, um, but really the only connective tissue is is the character of Charlie. Uh, and, and even then, he's only in what I will call the prologue of this movie and in the third act. Yeah, and the Barry Andy shows up, too. So it's it's a... And they do something that was really common with sequels at the time. I mean, you had videotape and stuff, but they do sort of an extended kind of highlight reel at one point when uh, they're describing what happened and the uh, incidents on the Grover's Bend in the first two movies. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, convenient timing in this, uh, as kind of is the case with uh, you know more horror sequels where uh, Charlie McFadden happens to stumble across these people in the first act and then you know they all kind of go their separate ways and converge back into the same locale shortly afterwards um it's a little bit of a leap of faith to take but I, I'm, I'm willing to i'm willing to take it well there are a lot there are a lot of coincidences but it all sort of works exactly no well, and, and you look in here and you see the um it takes a long time for the critters to really show up you see a lot of first person shots of the critters running around uh, breaking through glass, attacking, uh, attaching to a, the bottom of a car, but it takes its time until you show them, and it's not for like a suspenseful reason, like the first film. It's just to save money, um, and I mean th this thing takes way too long to get started, in my opinion. Yeah, I, it was funny because um, I I had started it before, and I rewatched it last night and this morning in preparation for this episode, and um, I, I fell asleep the first time. And uh, I was like, are they just kind of like milk? I wonder if they like cut it to like milk the Leo footage because there's a lot of time devoted to building the characters in this. Like after the park encounter, you go home, and then they they really want to um, they really want to develop this um, the what's the girl's name uh, bah, 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 the Annie mm -hmm. character yeah. like her home life and her kind of like disaffected, tired father. Like we. Take a pretty uh, takes a pretty long time with them, you know their whole uh, you know apartment thing and the neighbors. But I kind of liked it because you get some really good character actors. Francis Bay is in there as Mrs. Mengies, who's like the most adorable little old lady character actor of all time, who has literally been in everything from Blue Velvet to Happy Gilmore to The Mouth of Madness, Arachnophobia. I mean, what a filmography! Well, and Bill Zuckert as Mr. Mengers has, you know, some fun moments uh, talking to the little kid. He's, oh, he's got I mean, that great line about having an old Civil War pistol. That's right. And uh, so you get some kind of a cast of characters, but I mean, it takes a long time with them on the road. I know they're moving to the, the city and it, the city's kind of a, a slum. Uh, the music is by David C. Williams is a bit dopey. Uh, I looked at the filmography of the director here, Christine Peterson, and uh, this was, you know, she had done other stuff, um, I think for New Line, but like uh, Body Chemistry, later she did like Kickboxer 5, um, she's did a lot of second unit directing before be doing a director, 
and she actually got her start way back at Zoetrope Studios as part of the staff for uh, Apocalypse Now. No shit. So, but I mean, so this Critters 3, I think it's pretty visually kind of inspired. Um, I, I did find it was interesting in the credits early on, they do point out the Kyoto brothers for designing the Critters. I wasn't expecting that as a credit. Well, I mean, they, they had their yeah. stamp on those puppets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you think these are the same puppets as in the other films? I wouldn't put it past them to outright be recycling a lot of their, their props. And like these particular critters don't seem to have any ad- additional articulation. So I would not be surprised if they were if, if they were from one of the previous movies. And in fact, I think really the only uh the only critter puppet that might be new is the one that has all the streaks of gray in his hair. Yeah, um, I, you know, this isn't a situation like from Ninja Turtles 2 to Ninja Turtles 3 where the, the creatures look a lot different. So I think you have that consistency there, and, and you have them speak in subtitles a little bit, like in the, the first two films. So that that's a bit of continuity. But you could also walk into this movie not see the Critters film, and you get filled in pretty well on what happens. Uh, but do you have any thoughts, um, either of you, about what you think when they get into the city? Well, you know, the the one thing that I that I do, well, I guess two things that I do really like about about moving into the city, even though all the action is just confined to one terrible apartment building, is like one, it is very grounded in reality. I've lived in that kind of terrible apartment building where you got to go through many different floors and enter a creepy room to do your laundry, you know, like that in particular, I love the mileage they got out of the laundry room. Uh, But beyond that, um, I do think it helps that it's in a very, as a person who's lived in a number of very familiar urban environments, I like that this is set in a very familiar urban environment. That, that grounding in my own reality does make up for some of the other lackluster elements of the film for me it's funny i'm reading the description on letterboxd and it says um it says in what appears to be a cross between critters and the towering inferno the residents of a shoddy la apartment block are chased up to the roof by hordes of the eponymous hairy horrors and um while that is a fairly apt uh synopsis you know what this reminded me of was people under the stairs oh just a wee bit in that you kind of have this like like you know social allegory about like you know slum lords and you know kind of uh you know more rundown urban neighborhoods and stuff like that as a backdrop for a kind of schlocky horror film i could see that i mean i also was was amused the the character of the slum lord we were mentioning before the show uh i think this slum lord's name is i don't have it in front of me that's great um, he looks a lot like John Waters, you were saying. Yeah, he's like a beefy John Waters. We were joking around, we were calling him Ron Waters, like like John's <laughs> old brother. <laughs> Maybe it's the mustache, but he's got like the muscular build of his face. Like it's a little longer. Yes. But it, it just the, totally the large forehead and the the bald the balding on top. It's uh, the thin hair. It's it's a weird look for a character, but he does look like a. Uh, a corrupt landlord and there's a scene where he's in the the car using a, an old car phone which those things were huge oh yeah so it, it shows that's a way well, visually you can tell that the guy was well off and um and he seems like excited about oh we're going to evict them and it just seemed like a regular thing 
he would do anytime uh, people had the slightest problems at his uh, apartments. Well, in his case, wasn't he going to evict them because he was go- he was going to sell off the lot? The, the, and he uh, also didn't want to pay the relocation fee too. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't want to pay the relocation fee, which he's required to pay because the building's going to get torn down while they are under lease. All right. right. And before we talk more about Critters Three, which is such a good movie, uh, let's talk about the, our worst landlord experiences. I think one of mine was, I had just moved to Portland. I had lived with another guy basically in his closet, and that didn't work out well. So after a few months, I. Found a, a studio apartment for, I guess, one bedroom technically for myself, and he said, "Oh, the rent's going to be four fifty a month." I'm like, "Okay, this is back in 2006." I was like, "Okay, great." And then as soon as I'm about to move in, he's like, "Oh, you know, we had to replace the refrigerator, and the guy before that lived here just trashed it because he left for Thailand, unannounced. So uh, rent's going to be five twenty-five." Ooh. And at that point, it's like I don't really have a choice now. I <laughs> called the old guy I was going to move out. He just raised the rent by. Uh, 30 percent pretty much and then I, I talked about it with a friend of mine that lived in the same unit and he's like oh yeah he does that to everyone oh, oh. Christ. but uh, uh thrasher do you have a bad landlord story yeah i've got i've got two one from a landlord i had one from a landlord i, I said hell no to so there was a brief period where i was trying to move to new york uh, That's right. And yeah. there was uh, one particular guy who who might as well have been out of central casting, uh, mm-hmm. as as far as like skeevy landlord goes. But uh, he was going to show me an, a, a, a ridiculously overpriced apartment that was basically like two rooms and a bathroom, like a living room, a bedroom, and a bathroom. Um, and so the the short version is the the unit the unit he showed me. Uh, there was somebody living in it, and he just walked right in with me while that mm. per- into the guy's bedroom while he was asleep. What the hell? And, and, and yeah, and so and so I'm like, well, well, if this is the, if if you don't even check to see if your tenant is home or check to see whether someone's living there, mm-hmm. fuck you, I'm not going to move in here. But then right, the other one actually would have been probably the the last uh, landlord we had uh, before we got our own house. Uh, so we we were renting a, a dupe, half of a duplex, and the owners sold it. And the the new the new owners clearly wanted to turn it into a bigger profit making venture. Yes. Uh, so we were so we were grandfathered in on, on a very nice on a very cheap rent. Uh, you know that was kind of a, because of the terms of the contract was kind of immune from inflation. Uh, so of course he he wanted to, to get us out of there. So he was just generally unfriendly and unpleasant. Uh, and then when we finally did announce we were going to move, not only did he want us to leave early or he was going to charge us for the next month's rent, even though we weren't going to be there for the next month. Uh, you know, we we had made an agreement about what we were and were not responsible for, and he kept changing the nature of that agreement every few days, and then threatened to take us to small claims court. Oh, of course. And, and it was over the because because the whole the whole deal is like our side had this basement, and mm. in the basement when we moved in was stuff that wasn't even ours because the previous landlord mm. used it to store some stuff Sorry. for like upkeeping the place. Uh, and so because of that, we're like, well, you're not responsible for the basement until it's like until it's like the last three days we can be there. And then suddenly, oh, no, we are responsible for the basement. Funny how that works, right? Oh, yeah, I started yeah. to get that. You know, I, I've never rented a place where I got my um, safety deposit back. And uh, it's I've it's... never gotten the full one back. 
I got most of mine back from the last one, but they had every goddamn reason to keep every single cent that they took. <laughs> I'll give okay. them back. There you go. So, but, uh, Alex, what about your landlord from Hell story? I've got a couple. I'll I'll choose a highlight. Um, it was actually, I was renting a room for a long time, and the deal was that the woman who owned the house would she was never there. She spent like ten months a year in Florida, but she'd spend her summers up here, and um, and those summers were always kind of like tiptoe around. So what would happen is that she would just get loaded, and if you were like downstairs which is like her area kind of, but that's where like the fridge and the kitchen were, you know? So if you wanted to like grab a midnight snack or something, you might run into her. And if like you just ran into her on the wrong day at the wrong time, she would just uh, be like, pack your shit. You're out of here. And be like, and the next day be like, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I didn't mean it. So basically if you wanted to go downstairs for two months out of the year, after 10 PM, you ran the risk of potentially getting evicted. <laughs> um, this happened a few times. And of course the next day she's like, Oh, you're fine. Um, but one time I was walking home from work and I didn't have my earphones and I was listening to a podcast, just holding it up to my head. And um, I think it actually might have been you guys or Battleship Pretension or something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, quiet street in the back of, you know, whatever town I'm in. And, um, you know, it, it sounds like a few people. So I walk up and she's on the porch with a big old glass of wine, smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? And she goes, Where, where's everyone else? And I'm like, everyone else, too. <laughs> you sounded like you are coming up with a crowd of kids or something. I'm like, oh, oh, no, no, it's just a podcast. And she goes, fuck, and, like, knocked over the glass of wine and slammed the door in my face. <laughs> it's like she was disappointed that I didn't bring a crowd of people. I was like, I thought you'd be relieved. It was just the phone. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's when yeah. I realized I need to move. Sure. Um so as the movie transitions to uh, the, the families moving into the apartment, you get a cast of characters. We mentioned the, the Menjis, the kind of older couple that was there. But there's also, uh, you have uh, Rosalie, played by Deanna Bellamy, who's this very broad, kind of bigger woman that lives there, who, who seems like her whole role is to make like shocked faces as she's being attacked by the critters. She's playing the Shelley Winters role. Like... Yeah. This is the hair curlers, bathrobe, you know, haughty old, you know, rah, 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 you know, exactly. She gets to scream and, and run around in her rabbit slippers and stuff like that. But she is a pretty good actress, I'll say, Diana Bellamy. She she brings a lot of flavor to it. And you kind of get a little bit of like sincerity. You can tell she kind of like looks out for, um, you can tell she kind of like looks out for uh, Annie there. You know, they have like a bit of a friendship, which I think is funny, which I think is cute. Uh, Thrasher, do you have any thoughts on like the young uh, boy that's in the movie Johnny? He's played by twins, which is a pretty common thing. Played uh, yeah, by Christian and Joseph Cousins. Well, I did. I did not notice that he was played by twins until I saw until I saw the credits. I mean, he's. I mean, he he's he, he's a cute kid without being precocious, which which I appreciate. That seems to be that seems to be Charlie's thing. Is he just bonds with ki- with kids for whatever reason? Because our whole the whole the whole what I, what I'll call the prologue is that all is that uh, is that Josh's family and Annie's family 
by an amazing coincidence and without recognizing each other, uh, stop at the same uh, parking lot. John, you know, Josh's family being the ones, you know, her, his father owns the apartment building that Annie and her family live in. Uh, and like Johnny goes wandering off into the woods and in the woods, you know, Charlie jumps out of a pit and Charlie just looks bonkers. <laughs> he's, he's got his duster on. He's got one of those old timey aviator caps with all these like antennae sticking out of it. And he's, and he's got his he's got his weird high tech gun made from cobbled together technology. I think there is literally a Campbell soup can. As there is, yeah. Uh, and and you know and he's ta- and he's talking to Johnny. And this is when we get the clips of the other movies where he explains, you know, how it's dangerous. You got to watch out for them, the critters. Uh, and he hands and he hands Johnny this like this crystal. I explain now when it. I don't have many of these left, but if it glows green, you got to be careful. That means there's critters around. And that's a bit of technology that would have been useful to have in the previous two films. I guess Ugg <laughs> came back and gave him a few of those. <laughs> I guess so, but like the thing, like it, it's taken out only when convenient, and it looks like the other thing was kind of like a remote, like a functional thing. This one, it just almost looks like a, a hunk of plastic you'd find at the bottom of a box of cereal. Yeah, I mean, it, it clearly is a real quartz crystal that got molded, that they made a mold of, and then just did like a, a frosty resin uh, for the crystal, and they shine a light underneath it. Because you ever notice, whenever the crystal glows, they're always holding it in such a way that they could be hiding a light source in their pocket. Oh, totally, yeah. There's definitely a wire coming up that kid's sleeve. Like, I like to imagine that there was a whole other movie between two and three, because that's the other thing about Charlie, is that it is unclear whether he is still the sheriff in Grover's Bend. Because if he is the sheriff, and keep in mind, he was never elected, and the first movie establishes that they elect their sheriffs, because uh, he's wearing a sheriff's badge, but he is operating well outside of his jurisdiction. That is true. I've kind of forgot about the sheriff angle. Um, like, I, I, do... I like to imagine that he he did not win the election because he kept talking about critters and everyone else would just rather forget that they exist. Although it also means that when he crashed his ship into the critter ball in the previous film, it didn't kill all of them because there's still lots of critters running around. <laughs> right. And I think that he's just like slumming it by like, you know, maybe he's like sleeping in the park or something like that, like in a little like tent. <laughs> there is that implication, but that's also where, where, where Josh meets Annie and they do kind of have a connect, uh, like a little kid crush kind of connection, which, which is, which is cute. So I actually like that intro. That intro does have a lot of atmosphere and it's kind of creepy despite the fact that it is in broad daylight. There's not a shadow <laughs> to be found. And I think once again, it's because it's in part because well, I've been on those road trips. I've been to those rest stops that have weird, creepy woods next to them that it would be so oh, easy yeah. to get lost in. Yeah, I mean, it did remind me of taking trips as a kid as well, and I was reminded of some some rest stops in uh, in parts of southern Georgia. You have the the famous Georgia red clay. You know, I guess it's not that famous, but um, it, it was so bad in some areas. You try to drink from the water fountain, and it's just red. It looks like blood coming out of it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because Gross. it's not. Um, you, you want to bring your own you know, water or something. Filtered, of course. Yeah. And I think, you know, and the bathrooms are, they're usable, but they're not great. But they do have the snack machines, which are, I remember those being sort of fun. Or sometimes you could get, uh, have a little store there. People have like a bootleg hot chocolate operation going on. <laughs> boiled peanuts. Trans- boiled yeah. peanuts, yeah. Google yeah, peas, but- all, that, all that stuff. But amid all this, we do get a critter, a critter's POV, because it turns out the critter that Charlie's been hunting, it runs up to uh, Anne's father's uh, camper 
and it lays some eggs on the underside of the vehicle and then gets promptly run over as the vehicle pulls out. <laughs> yeah, and you get, um, I mean, the POV shot is completely incorrect because it seems to be going, like, waist high to the humans <laughs> when it should be, like, ankle high. It, or you should see the grass. Like, I don't, it's just clearly a, a guy with a handheld running around. Maybe uh, critters have a cannon and they shot him out of a cannon. <laughs> Maybe. It just seems like it's slightly weird. You had all these POV shots in the other film. I'm not really complaining about that. They make the same noises and stuff, but it just yeah, you just don't really see much of the critters until the one gets squished. I also yeah. feel like it's not officially a critters film and unless you have a broken critter, a crit egg in there somewhere. With yes, some yeah, sure. The, with the green soap. And, uh, I, mean, I, like this, I like the scene later where... Um, Rosalie is dropping her laundry off and then she's trying to pick down the chute and she's trying to pick it up to put it in the machine and she notices there's green goop from one of the eggs over the bra and she's like pervert. It's like, well, wait a second, who who is she seeing that's spraying green goo everywhere? Yeah, Frank <laughs> Frank Longo, our bad boy. <laughs> Who's spraying green goo? Like if it's green, there's something wrong. I, mean, I like that she associates that yeah, like that's the indication that it's the work of a pervert, like I don't know what kind of perverts you know, lady, but... Maybe she used to be in a relationship with Mark Summers or something. He had this oh, sloppy like double a, there. Lives in the yeah, or a troll, yeah. Well, it's just that, like, if you think that it's... Let, let this face it's it's presumably, as she thinks, that that semen... I would feel, think the response would be a little more intense if you accidentally thought you touched semen. Right, and there is enough of it for you to notice, especially on your undergarments of all things. Uh, unless, unless this has happened so much, she's completely cynical and blasé about it. Which well, they do set it up because remember he does like kind of he's a total perv, and he's like, "I love my work." Remember, he's like handling like mm -hmm. the pair of like undies. He's like, "Yeah." Oh, so they yeah, do establish yeah. creep. Oh yeah, I guess. Oh yeah, you know we should have established him. Yeah, there there is a, a superintendent for the building. Okay. Is just is just like clearly up to some shady stuff and is trying to help uh help josh's dad evict people so he's in on it and he's getting i believe they even imply he's getting a bonus for everybody he can evict uh yep. and i could totally see that arrangement happening with some with some sh uh shady people but yeah, and, well, yeah. Like, like he he is such he is so nasty nastier and even than josh's father that you're kind of glad when you when he gets eaten by critters oh totally yeah we need to, he's got to go and it's a pretty good death scene, and it's um, you get some pretty good effects. He like jabs him, he jabs the critter with the uh, screwdriver, so you get like his blood and the critter blood splattered on the floor, which I thought was a pretty cool effect. Um, oh, one of the, the main also, the critter that's kind of our, the one with the gray streaks, it gets yeah, on it. totally. And like, um, and Jeffrey Blake, the actor who plays Frank Longo, good name by the way, um, kind of looks like like uh, you're kind of reminds me of like a weird Ryan Gosling kind of stand-in or something. I can see that. You have, you know, the, the kind of early 90s mullet thing going on. I mean, speaking of early 90s, you look at the outfits that Annie wears, and there's, like, the horizontal stripes everywhere, which is... Oh, and I'm pretty sure that not only did I have Leonardo DiCaprio shirt, but I had that same goddamn haircut for, like, three years as a kid. She's a regular blossom. The, the mop top, and, like, I... I there was one scene in the kitchen, and I, I noticed the, the kind of soup pot. Like, I had that exact soup pot. The oh, black yeah. with the white speckles the black, on it. The white speckles, yep. That's it's funny because I also I feel like this... Yeah, that was like... Yeah, it came with every apartment pretty much for like 20 years. Um, I also feel like this film, the critters do the most gremlin-esque hijinks. 
oh, I was going to bring mm-hmm. that up. Yeah, because yeah. we keep cutting. There, there's when, when the uh, when the critters invade the Menji's apartment because the the Menji's are, are are taking care of of, of uh, Annie and her little brother at at one point, uh, and they all hide in the crawl space in the ceiling, and we keep cutting back to the critters just having a good old fashioned frolic in the kitchen. <laughs> Like every gag they could come up with with stuff in your kitchen that wouldn't get a critter killed, we get. Oh, totally. Yeah, I feel like this is like when the critters films have gone farthest into like gremlin territory. Um, funny story though, when they're fucking around with the flower, because you have all those um, lanterns and candles because the power's been cut by the dastardly uh, slumlord. Yeah. And one of the puppeteers is like, you know, like all the flower in the air, open flames. Like, this is how silo fires start. Yeah. And I guess right when he said that, it was like a huge combustion of flames just like whoosh, roared over the set and um, like singed a lot of the puppet hairs. I guess this was kind of a source of contention between the the crew and the puppeteers is because they'd get their critters back and they have like flour and beans and gunk and shit all in the fur. And it took them like a really long time to like clean them and get them ready for like the next day's shoot. Yeah. Cause I was looking at that. I was like, well, this has to be the last thing they filmed because so this would ruin the puppets, but I guess they just ruined the puppets. Yeah. Cause like second, just yeah. didn't clean anything or whatever. They're just like, have like gunk and stuff in there, which would probably piss me off if I was one of the puppeteers too. Yeah, you know, in, in this second film, there is a big scene where they're eating the the hamburgers at that hamburger hamlet place, and but even then, they don't like rub the critter's face in the burgers. Like it, it's done pretty, you can tell what they're doing, but they make sure the critters are intact. And this one, you know, you see them smearing in the beans, and uh, perhaps even worse for the the puppets, um, putting the uh, detergent in the mouth. Like I thought that was going to pay off more. I thought like a Critters would explode, and you'd see bubbles everywhere. But apart right. from just burping bubbles once or twice, there's no big payoff, and it feels like it's just forever of them eating stuff, and they're kind of laughing. I mean, that's what thought what I thought uh, Thrasher felt the most gremlins to me. Yeah, there's, there's yeah, also totally. a bit where they're in an apartment, uh, like all like watching television, and that's when Josh's father shows up because Josh. Josh's father decides to well, I, well, I can't reach the the crooked uh, superintendent, so I guess I'll just go there and start evicting people myself. Josh, you come with me. You've got to learn because <laughs> I guess you know, presumably Josh will inherit the real estate business. The family. So business. they show up, and there's a bit where Josh's father like goes into the rooms, like, "Okay, we're gonna kick you out," and then like all these red eyes <laughs> turn to him. Yeah, and and then the door closes, and he's just devoured. <laughs> and we're back, folks, with another episode of Nasty Labs. Nasty Labs. It's a show hosted by me, Kinsey Burke, and my dumbass friend, Mark. Nasty Labs. This twice-monthly show about game development, Japan life, being nice to people, and hey, maybe a few other things. Nasty, Nasty Labs, Labs is a product of Chuhai Labs Brand Incorporated, and now available for three easy payments of four twenty sixty nine. Only on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hi, we're Ellen, Steven, and Mark, hosts of Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. Topics include programming, design, tools, and more. We also do interviews and one-hour game jams. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get to your wherever you get to your podcast. You get there. <laughs> Or at nicegames.club. Yeah, and right beforehand, Leo yells at him like, "Drop dead!" And they're like, "Don't!" He's like, "Don't call me." He keeps calling him sport, and he, you know, Josh isn't feeling it. And right before he, he goes in there, he's like, "I wish you drop dead!" And then right when he turns around, yeah, you get these like beaming critter eyes, which is a pretty good effect still. 
Oh, it's yeah. a good effect. And you can I mean, feel that like it does emotionally weigh, weigh on Josh. And it's and really like from from the part that the superintendent gets eaten, it is pretty much just nonstop critters action. Uh, as everybody's trying to stay one step ahead of him in the apartment, people are getting eaten. There's the you know running through the crawl space. Uh, and a fire ends up starting because some stuff falls into the uh, oh, yeah. falls okay, into so a that's... pile of laundry in the laundry room. One of the critters gets a flare stuck down, which I thought was a good bit of business. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... He gets a flare stuck in his throat. He falls down the laundry chute, lands on some laundry, and that's what gets the fire going. You need, you need a ticking clock scenario in this, obviously. But what I thought was funny, so Marsha comes in. And it's like a totally forgettable character, right? But you can totally tell she's doing this like Linda Hamilton, Sigourney Weaver thing, yeah. like, trying, like the action badass heroine, you know what I mean? She's like, come with me if you want to live pretty much with like the flares and everything, which I thought was, I, I thought was a little silly, but it was kind of fun in a weird way. But, but I, thought, I, think, I think it worked. And like, I also just love that she's very blue collar. Like she works for the phone company and that becomes very important later when, they're gonna like use fo- they're gonna use phone lines to to get out and contact and the- and get help. I will notice one thing: like, does anyone else live in this neighborhood? Because nobody seems to care that an apartment building's on fire. Yeah, it's literally about so, the fire business with her on the phone. They have her hanging upside down, um, <laughs> kind of dangling and doing kind of like a inverse Tarzan move or something. That I don't like think that, that quite works. That. But you certainly saw this well, in movies a lot. It gives you comical business to keep cutting back yeah. to to break the tension when everyone else is being imperiled because she's just yeah because she tries to climb out on the tension wires they collapse but one of them gets tangled on her on her feet and so she's just dangling like about like three feet off the ground upside down and she has to swing her way to the payphone. <laughs> <laughs> to but she, she's also like maybe an inch off the ground like couldn't she try to untangle herself and fall down or. You it's know, just... that's a good point. I don't see any yeah. reason why she couldn't, like, bend up and get herself untangled and right herself. Because <laughs> but that's something like, fun. like, if she fell, you know, and could hurt herself, like, I could see, okay, this is, she has to do the momentum. But this, it's like, she's... There's but, no critters I, on the ground. No, they're, they're, you're right. And even a critter on the ground would have been more, made the scene more interesting, I, uh, frankly. Um, but... <laughs> and in, the, in the middle of all this, Charlie shows up <laughs> and starts blowing up critters. Yeah, and you get some explosions, which are good. I mean, there's the scene earlier where the critters go into the apartment complex. First person, you see it go to these, um, looks like kind of jail cell bars, and you hear a sound effect of glass breaking, but was it just me or I didn't see any glass there? But then later you see exteriors, and there's glass behind the um, glass, the vertical bars. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's glass when it w- during that that POV shot. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's all yeah. the magic of filmmaking. But it's this exactly. really stock sound effect that took me out of it. I'm like, well, that. Well, that's true too. That was dubbed in a bit too loud. I could okay, that's from Fun Sound Effect CD number six. <laughs> I like. But, um, yeah. I do like it when Francis Bay comes out with like the giant meat cleaver <laughs> when they're like, "Do you have knives, guns, or anything like that?" She's like, "How about this?" Oh yeah. No, you get some good business, and I think, although this seems a bit more cartoony than the other ones, once the critters start going crazy, as as you mentioned, Thresher, it is pretty straight critters action for the last part of it. Yeah, and there there is there is a sense of peril. You know, people people we like do do die. Uh, 
and oh, there, I just I keep forgetting how much like pipe is laid in that in that prologue because not only does Charlie give the kid the crystal, he also like gives the kid one of his customized digital exploding bullets, which which is what they need later in the film when his gun is when when he has to clear the jam from the gun and he takes he takes the bullet back from the kid, and uses it to blow up one of the the big the big critters. But you know it's you know it's a big it's a big free for all. A lot of critters a lot of critters die. Uh, the everybody does manage to get out of the apartment. Uh, there and you know the rescue workers uh, show up and start putting up the fire, and then we get and th- and in my head this is always how I remember the ending to Critters Two, even though I know it's the ending to Critters Three. Like Charlie does this kind of like whole man with no name thing and he vanishes. Mm-hmm. I think you find out he didn't vanish. He he snuck back into the building to sweep it for crit for critter eggs. Uh, and just to make sure that the job was well and truly done. And the credits start to play. Like, we keep getting these freeze frames where we see the credits. Yeah, these still but, shots, right? But then we get, like, a little mini movie because, like, he finds the egg. But then this, like, beam comes down from... But then, like, his his communicator goes off and he gets a message from Ugg. And this is, this is when, you know, the Galactic Council cannot make up its goddamn mind. Remember in the second movie, they had issued an order that the crates must be exterminated. But now it turns out, due to some bit of galactic policy, you can't let a species go extinct. And so the clutch of critter eggs that he finds in the in the dryer turns out those are the last critter eggs in the galaxy. Uh, and so the Galactic Council is going to send a pod so that they can be taken to, I guess, a, a nature preserve of sorts. And, like, we get this... this, And it's not the original actor who played Og. It's just a stand-in who's not even attempting to do the Johnny Steele accent. And, like, the building collapses as this giant... This, like, this giant UFO pod thing comes crashing through it. And, and then it just kind of ends with it to be continued. Uh... I, I am shocked that we don't see Charlie get trapped in the pod in this. We have to wait for the second movie. Or oh, no, sorry, for the fourth movie. It is Terrence Mann um, doing UG. Wait, that is the guy? That's the dude, yeah. It was, I watched the behind-the-scenes thing, and he's like, he was like, oh, yeah, they're doing a Critters 3, and there's going to be UG. And he's like, oh, cool. And they're like, yeah, they're not going to pay you, or they're just going to use some like pre-existing footage, but they still had to... They ended up giving him credit. And he's like third build on this thing, actually, which I think oh, is hilarious. Cause he's literally in the movie for like four seconds. So, okay, so so that is his face? It's just somebody else's voice? Um, Terrence Mann is the dude credited for playing Ugg in the other ones. Huh. Because it doesn't, it doesn't even look like him to me. Although, they, they, who, who knows? Maybe it, was maybe. it was a hologram, too, though. They were doing a little same yeah, Obi- thing. It could have been an effect of, of the distortion. So yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's it, it it is it is fascinating that it ends on like that it ends on such a set up the sequel kind of moment, like far far beyond. Oh, we see some eggs, like just that that. No, no, we're just going to establish how we're going to get the next movie to start. Like we're literally going to end number three with the beginning of number four. It was a good wrap up though, because I feel like this is such a non sci fi critters film for so long. That it was good to have that um, little credit sting. And I do love that. Like, you kind of have... I, I think Don Keith Opper has this really good ability to play, like, this kind of, like, amiable, oafish, ins- like, unassuming, incidental, like, slightly heroic dude. You know what I mean? Like, he 
is probably kind of winging it half the time, but he is still really good at what he does in terms of finding critters. So, you know, he's securing the perimeter, making sure all the eggs are gone. And um, the, the transmission from, from Ugg is, it kind of brings it back into the sci-fi territory. And I guess they did film three and four simultaneously. They did, even though Critters 3 came out in 91 and Critters 4 was not released uh, direct-to-video until, um, like, 90... It says 92 Two. here. Okay, never yeah. mind. Yep, so they came out pretty soon. I mean, I that reminds me of kind of, like, with the Child's Play, which we haven't covered on this show yet, surprisingly. Uh, Child's Play 2 and 3 were released in theaters nine months apart. Wow. Oh, but but yeah. these are direct to video, still one year apart. But you know, I think they they must have done well enough where they could get two movies uh, for a pretty low budget. And it says in the poster, "You are what you, they eat." But I mean, I think Critters Three, I would give a sequel no to. It's not the Critters business is kind of uninspired. It just seems a bit weak that it's in an apartment complex. It's it's amusing to see DiCaprio in here and. You get some good actors and a few amusing moments, but it's uh, it doesn't really pick up until the the end where it's like critters insanity. But even then, it's more tampered down than what we've seen before. Thrasher, I'm gonna give this a sequel. Yes, uh, for for all its faults, I still really enjoyed this, and 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 it where, where the the part the smaller scale like every everything. Every every sort of lack this film had, I think, was more than made up for with the familiar surroundings. Just the the this is the most grounded in reality of all, or at least of my <laughs> reality of all the critters films. So I I, I really appreciated that. And uh, Alex, um, surprisingly, I'm going to go with the actual sequel. Yes, um, like you were saying, well, I actually I I enjoyed myself when I was watching this quite a bit. And, um, yeah, far from perfect, obviously. But I think, you know, every dollar is on the screen. And, uh, you know, they, they pooled their resources and made a fairly entertaining film. I think that kind of carries on the spirit of the of the previous movies. And, I mean, they're doing something new because they don't have the money to do something more elaborate. But in doing that, I think it actually, um, I think it actually works in this kind of weird pseudo-allegorical commentary on, like, I guess, I don't know, urban renewal and slumlords, I guess, which is, I'm a sucker enough for a slightly political um, satire, so I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. So, it's, um, I feel like the first act goes on a little bit too long, um, but it's a, it's an entertaining watch, and I, I do like the kind of gaggle of goofy characters that we have here, too, when we get to the apartment building. Right, so now let's go on to pitch a sequel. This is, you know, the third Critters film. Uh, I guess I'll start, you know. Um, so this one, you know, was in the city. The other one was in the farms. Maybe for uh, Critters 4, it takes place on a on a pirate ship. Maybe it's a historical movie. <laughs> and pirates are looking for, for gold, I think maybe is how it starts. And then... Uh, as they open the chest, it's it's full of critters. <laughs> and, shiver me critters, are. Yeah, shiver me critters, and uh, it would be uh, the tagline would be "Yo ho horror." <laughs> and uh, there'd be a critter with an eye patch and a sword and and stuff. And I think maybe you would have something where the critters and the pirates 
have to unexpectedly team up to fight off a kraken or something. <laughs> Critter beard the pirate, a pirate whose beard is made of critters. Mm-hmm. Oh, not bad. Yeah, maybe that would be something. Maybe that would be the the twist ending. As a uh, Blackbeard is known as Blackbeard because it's his beard is black from all the critters in it. Um, Alex, what's your picture sequel? So, um, Josh and uh, Annie, you know, uh, carry on this romance over the years, and they eventually get married in their twenties, and they get in an apartment together, and. Um, you know, the, the the critters business is, is you know, a story of the past. And, you know, they uh, start to have a family. And then um, it turns out, because of the shoddy apartment Annie was raised in, um, she was prone to breathing a lot of asbestos. And this kind of metastasizes with some critter DNA that got into her system because of this. And she gives birth to human hybrid critter twins. Now, because they have DNA and human DNA, they're like super breeders. And they, they, they breed this giant horde of, of, of human-critter hybrid, hybrids, and they're kind of overtaking Earth. Um, meanwhile, the Galactic Council has been keeping tabs on Earth, and because Charlie McFadden has been, you know, is, is a good navigator of the planet, they've been steadily cl- making clones of him to release them on this, you know, <laughs> on this horde of on this horde of, uh, of uh, human critter hybrids. So you get a, a giant um, intergalactic uh, intervention ship of of clone of clone Charlie McFadden's, and then they just you know wipe out all these human hybrids. But there's just so many that they're overwhelmed, and they all have to move to an island. So you have like 50 remaining. Um, you know, uh, uh, Charlie clones and, and Leo and Annie Brooks on a deserted island, and it's the end of mankind. And it'll be called uh, Critters Four Generations. Generations, not Critters, not Critters Four Attack of the Clones. Oh, I was so close on that one too. Um, but Generations would have a four in it, so like Gen Fourations, because that's what you do with sequels now. You had a four. You put a four. <laughs> you use a letter word. There you go. So Thrasher, what's your uh, sequel? Okay, I'm going to do Critters 4 Wildlife with the tagline, Welcome to the Jungle. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow a little bit from the beginning of the actual Critters 4 we got, where Charlie's going to put the eggs into the, into the pod, but he's going to accidentally get stuck in it as well. Only in this version, you know, the, alien, the Galactic Council picks up the pod and drops it on the Nature Preserve planet. Well, it turns out this Nature Preserve planet, it's not just for the Krites. It is for every ridiculously dangerous organism that likes to eat other organisms. So it's Charlie. And now Charlie has to survive on a planet full of like giant alien dinosaur monsters, predators like the predators from predators, aliens like the aliens from aliens. But then he's still also got to deal with the critters from critters on this planet. Uh, And it's him like trying to survive against all odds in this wilderness, very much like the gray, frankly. Um, Mm. Yeah, you know, assaulted on all sides, learning how to survive, you know, build, building a shelter out of a dinosaur's rib cage. Um, <laughs> and in fact, that's what we'll find out that, yeah, the dinosaurs are preserved there, too, because the Galactic Council came to Earth when the dinosaurs were going extinct to save some of them. Um, and he, and he's doing this all while while trying to get a distress signal to Ugg uh, to get rescued. Uh, and in fact, uh, at one point, a ship does show up that he thinks is going to rescue him. Turns out human meat is a delicacy on some planets, and it's actually like alien pirates who are going to 
capture him, cut Charlie up, and sell his meat to creepy alien billionaires who want to eat human. But in the end, Ugg will show up, and he and Charlie will, will join forces, wipe out, uh, will escape from the Critter Planet, wipe out the cannibal aliens. Uh, and, and what the heck? Uh, one of them will have bonded, uh, Charlie will have bonded with a critter because the egg accidentally hatched like right next to him and he kind of became its mother. So there's a sort of good critter that's like his mascot. And this will oh. be our bridge to the animated series because in the Critters animated series, that critter will basically be the Slimer of the series. Nice. I see. There it oh, is. Oh, what's the title? A Critters for Wildlife. With wow, the tagline, Welcome to the Jungle. Nice. I wouldn't use that song, uh, Wildlife, by, uh, whatchamacallit? The, the Talking the wild... Heads? Yeah, Talking Heads. Oh, oh no, mm. Traveling Wilbury. No, oh, that's my life, not wildlife. Yep. Um, so, uh, on to what you're watching. I watched a, a new movie made for Netflix, pretty big budget, directed by Zack Snyder. I don't know why I watched it. Army of the yeah. Dead. <laughs> Two and a half hours. Um... Excuse me, 148 minutes, so not quite two and a half hours, two minutes short. But a lot of so promotion. So are they one of his movies as of the Snyder Cut now? I don't know. I mean, this <laughs> one, the, the concept is okay. It's like zombies are all over Vegas, so they have it kind of quarantined off. And then uh, th these people have to form a team. They get a deal where it's like uh, underground. There's, oh, I think like $250 million or something. They have to go and uh, retrieve it and uh, give it to their benefactor and they get a cut of the action. But because it's a zombie movie, of course, it has to be fatalistic. Um, they already, with what? Netflix, it's kind of a package deal because there's a, uh, a prequel movie called Army of Thieves that's going to be on Netflix and it's going to have an anime uh, or animated series called Army of the Dead Las Vegas for some reason so uh, they gotta make everything a cinematic universe or have as many spin-offs as possible um, and it you know it is um, I'll say this compared to you know Justice League and stuff that the colors are, are brighter um, even though it, it's set in Las Vegas you know you don't really get to see casinos until near the end when they're doing the heist part um, but kind of the more interesting thing to me is there's a cast, uh, a comedian in there in a small part, Chris Elia, who has a lot of um, sexual misconduct allegations against him. So he was replaced by Tig Notaro in Post. Who oh, yeah, I, I love Tig Notaro. If, yeah. if yeah. anything's going to make me watch this, it's going to be her. She's yeah. not in it that much, but I mean, they do a great job <clears throat> of compositing her in different places. I think some of it she filmed in her apartment against a green screen and other stuff. They had her go into a studio with better lighting. But I mean, if you didn't know any better, you would think she was on the set. I think, you know, from a technical aspect, that part's interesting. But other than like, uh, you know, like Dave Bautista, Hiroyuki Sonata, Tig Notaro, you know, there's no one really I recognized in the cast. It doesn't need to be as long as it is. And the ending just kind of made me groan. It's a zombie film, you know, things don't end up well, I'll just say that much. And it, yeah. It, it tries I to go for the emotion, it tries to be earnest, but it doesn't really earn it. I am already tired, just hearing from, like, I'm already tired of this movie, just based on what you've told us so far. Like the, oh, they're making it a series, and blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, oh, I'm already over it. Yep. 
So it is, uh, yeah, I mean, that Dave Bautista has a lead. I think that's kind of cool, and he's really grown as an actor um, since he's made that transition. But, yeah, I, w I would say skip this. It's not, there, there's explosions, you know, there's action, but it's just, for everything you can do with zombies in Las Vegas, that you choose to do this sort of a thing that kind of de-emphasizes the Las Vegas angle is, is odd. <laughs> Good point. I mean, right? You should. That should be. That should be a blank check to have a lot of fun. And if you, if you, if you waste that, then poop on you. No, so, and you can tell it's a Zack Snyder film pretty early on, where they get to this outskirt area of a casino that has like a Roman statue, and, and Zack Snyder films it from an angle where you can see all the muscles in it. Like it's. It. it uh, you can tell it's a Zack Snyder film, but it's yeah. You think it would have fun with this setting, and it doesn't. Despite the posters, I think are kind of fun. This one is just kind of bland, and and you can skip it. It doesn't feel like two and a half hours. I give you that. I liked Army of the Dead better than the Justice League. Um, any kind of that, frankly, but yeah, hey. Justice well. fatigue. You mean? Oh uh, yeah. Um, Thrasher, what have you been watching? So what I, I watched uh, from a uh, from. Uh, 1988 a I, I it's origins are obscure it may have been direct to video or it may have been direct to paid cable it's hard hard to pin down but uh vampire on bikini beach uh video quality is awful audio quality is awful uh the the best parts of this movie are when they're trying to do something funny but not really doing it well the awkwardness is sort of funny i cannot recommend this movie at any way but i can recommend how i watched it uh someone some gracious human being uh by the name of jamie uh uploaded a vampire on bikini beach in its entirety to youtube but not just the movie they uploaded the version of the movie that was broadcast on USA's Up All Night in 1993, specifically Ooh, July no 17th, shit. 1993, which was a Friday or a Saturday, one of the two. I didn't have a chance to look that up. Uh, and it is complete with the Gilbert Gottfried host segments. Oh, that means it's a Friday night. Uh, complete with Gilbert Gottfried host segments. And all the period commercials for like the sex lines, for the for the local programming, uh, for whatever weird uh, weird food was going on at the time. It was so so wonderful to see to see to see this peak into 1993, and that I can endorse. Uh, it, it 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 gave me the same vibe, like back back when watching USA's up, watching something terrible on USA's up all night was my ideal Friday night. This movie perfectly captured that. Like I got those feelings again, and it's great seeing Gilbert Godfrey just improvise his way through a host segment in a test kitchen. He's doing it in a test kitchen. That was the location for this one. Oh wow. So yeah, I I would hardly recommend. I'd like I would check that out. And there and there are people who now do this. There are people who have been uploading recordings of movies aired on television with all the commercials and and station breaks intact. And when it had a host, having the host intact, whether it was like a horror host or some local local programming guy. So I will say, look up USA Up All Night Vampire on Bikini Beach. This is worth watching as as a weird media artifact. I love that. I'm looking this up right now. 
Um, and all the commercials are there. Oh, go on. Oh, the commercials are there. That's awesome. Yep. Oh, and and the same person uh, again is YouTube things by the name of Jamie. He has two other things that I am meaning to watch that are recorded in the same way. Uh, He has a local kids Halloween special called Kids Time Zone Halloween WTXXCT 1986, and he also has a USA Up All Night airing of Night of the Living Dead, which I assume is the remake, because they play that a lot. That oh, I can't yeah. wait to watch. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, among other things they showed on there, one time they did Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, which we've covered on this show. Oh, yeah. And they actually had Doug Bradley come in for the segments and tie up Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, nice. Hey! Here's something I just noticed. You mentioned Mark Summers earlier in this episode. He has Mark Summers' Mystery Magical Tour, uh, which is some some special that I guess he did. Okay, there we go. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, Alex, what have you been watching? So, I recently got something in the mail that I had pre-ordered a long time ago, and it is the Eurocrypt Vault of Christopher Lee. It's um, Severin released it recently, and it's a bunch of like thought to be lost, like um, old Christopher Lee movies from like the '60s, early '70s. Um, like a lot of Italian shows, um, some that were just like in poor preservation and long wrong language tracks and stuff like that. It's a it's a it's a goddamn treasure trove if you for any let alone Christopher Lee fan, but also just horror fan in general. So I watched um, Castle of the Living Dead. And this is, like, everything you'd want from, like, a Euro-weirdo, Euro-pudding horror oddity. Um, You've got Christopher Lee playing this, like, you know, fruitcake Count Drago. He's just the perfectly malevolent, you know, creepo. And not only do you have... Uh, Christopher Lee and just a slew of great uh, character actors from the 60s, but you get the first starring role of a young Donald Sutherland playing. Um, it's it's so cool, and also funny bit of trivia: the director's name Warren Kiefer. That's the inspiration for the naming Donald Sutherland's kid Kiefer Sutherland. Really. So this film is not mentioned very often by Donald Sutherland, but there must be some, insp- there must have had some lasting effect or uh, significance, seeing as he named his son after the director's last name. So, or maybe he just thought Kiefer sounded cool, but not a common name, Kiefer. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm going with the more romantic uh, narrative there. But this is, it's, it's such a, it's such a weirdo movie, such beautiful locations, crisp black and white photography. And I'm going to just be gnawing on the set for a while. It's got the coolest stuff ever. I'll, I'll, I'll send you guys a link in the chat. But yeah, I would, I would so, encourage anyone to track this down. So with the early Donald Sutherland film, does he have kind of like his full uh, afro going on? or? Um, he's, got a, or... he's wearing um, like one of those soldier uniforms, so he's got a hat on a lot. And is he trying to do an accent, or he just does his regular? He just voice? does his accent, his usual um, Donald Sutherland, and you can—it's a very distinct. You know, he has a very distinct voice, and you can totally hear it. Like it's—it's it's really funny because uh, one of Christopher Lee's things is that there's a lot of movies that he did in Europe where they were dubbed in several languages, and you know, a lot of Italian shows just do post dubbing after the fact. And after Mario Bava's *The Whip in the Body*. 
uh, one of the great regrets of his career was that he was mandated that he will dub his voice in all of his roles because he spoke German, French, Italian. You know, he was such a man of the world. Um, and uh, yeah, just a, a fascinating film um, and just a really beautiful one to watch. And I would just encourage anyone to seek this uh, this 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 treasure treasure trove out. It's a, the official title is the Eurocrypt of Christopher Lee Collection, um, released by Severin Films. Worth every penny. Mr. Jackson, and he also you know what sound that, a man uh, makes when you stab him through the ribs. <laughs> Quote. Right. And and you had mentioned a Christopher Lee film you had watched on Facebook. I want to touch on this quick because we talked about this a long time in the show. Uh, Airport 77? Oh, yeah, that's right. With yeah, Christopher, on a Christopher Lee. Lee the, where the plane is underneath the water. And they and don't they, take advantage of the Bermuda Triangle angle, which I is completely lost on me. There should have been ghosts and sea yes. monsters and aliens. Actually, watch Starship really... Invasion if you want to see Christopher Lee in the Bermuda Triangle in a UFO. Nice. That sounds amazing. There is a cool Bermuda Triangle movie called Triangle. It's actually pretty sweet. Cool, cool. All right, so next time on Sequel Cast 2, we'll be looking at the, the last film we're going to cover in the Critter series. We might do the other one later. This is Critters 4, and uh, it looks like it's in space or maybe on a spaceship. I can't uh, quite tell. But the... It is, in fact, in space. They finally get to out. They spend pretty much all the movie in outer space. Critters 4 eats some more. And... I, I and I've got some and and it is possibly the cheapest critters sequel ever made, but not Damn. in the way you think. Uh, I have I'm gonna have some interesting things to point out when we do that episode. Nice, very good. So you can follow me on Twitter at matwbt. Uh, go to the uh, Apple Podcast app and leave us a good review. Just search Sequelcast Two, and the website is sequelcast2.com where you can get a lot of the episodes and uh, Thrasher. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Uh, also, you can uh, check out uh, a lot of my game-related writings at DriveThroughRPG.com. Uh, should be having, should be, uh, it might not be out by the time this episode drops, but we should have uh, oddities for an alchemist laboratory coming out soon. That is currently in layout. And Alex. Uh, you can follow me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914, and you can drop by YouTube and check out my channel, The Trailer Project. Um, there's some trailer commentaries, and there's some weird inter-mixed-media uh, projector weirdness to enjoy, so drop by if you like eclectic, weird, experimental film stuff. Very good. So for SequelCast 2, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. This is Alex. Saying... We need to get that relocation fee. What in the role of Geraldo is going on here? What are you, some kind of pervert squirting green stuff in my boo beholders? Holders?